we're going to pray. Uh, if you can turn your Bible to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. I'm going to talk about very important subject. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. A couple here. We have them in Spanish as well. Thank you, guys. John chapter 1. We're going to begin with just one verse, verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Um, it's an important subject that I'm going to be talking about. We will be going through a lot of scriptures, which I generally try not to do. It really is something that I wish we could do on a Tuesday night, but a lot of you don't go to Tuesday night, so we'll do it here on Sunday. But give me your time, your attention, and try to follow um, through. If you're taking notes, you can write down some of these verses and go read them later at home. But let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are God who always calls us to come higher, Lord, that you are always here, Lord, to lift us up, Lord, and to bring us closer to you, Lord, to draw us deeper into your presence, Lord. Father, that we may know you and feast at your table and live for what we were created, Lord, to make you, Lord, the object of our pleasure, to make you, Lord, the center of our attention, Lord, to... Feed, Lord, on every word that you have spoken, Lord, and every word that you are still speaking, Lord, today. So, Father, we pray, Lord, that you will come, Lord, in the midst of this. We pray for your spirit, Lord, to touch me, Lord, that I may deliver your word with clarity, Lord, with simplicity, Lord, but yet with power, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, for uh, this, Lord, for your word, Lord, to be able to transform us. Your word says, Lord, that... Um, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For in your gospel, the righteousness from God is revealed. And we pray, Father God, that we will just grow in that, Lord, and in how to walk in that today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, you can divide the Bible into two major part, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the primary figure in the Old Covenant is Moses. Moses came down from a mountain, the Mount Sinai, and he came down with the law. That was part of the Old Covenant. And those were the Ten Commandments, but there were other commandments associated with that Old Covenant, about over 600 of them. And they are good. They say things like, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not covet, don't have idols, and that sort of thing. But the issue is, that people could not keep that. 
it was hard. People tried to keep up with those 600 plus commandments and laws and they could not. Now Jesus comes and he actually comes and he gives things that are even harder. He says, well, you heard don't murder, but Jesus said, I tell you, don't even wish them dead. And he said, do not commit adultery. And Jesus said, well, if you just lust with your eyes, you're already an adulterer. And he said, if your eye leads you to sin, pluck it out because it's better for you to go in, enter life with one eye than to go to hell with your, uh, with your whole body. And so you look at that and you say, but that is, that's not good news. We were having a hard time keeping up with what Moses gave us. And now you came and you made it harder for us. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you realize sooner or later that you want to obey God. But, pero no es fácil. <laughs> it's not easy. Okay? And... Um, you realize that it's not that straightforward. You get up in the morning, you've read the scripture, you feel like you're walking on the clouds. And then somebody, you walk out, somebody steps on your toe and the dragon comes out of you. <laughs> and you're like, what happened? And if you haven't learned the tricks of Satan, the devil will come to you and say, what? Weren't you reading the Bible? You, weren't you? What was that? You were in John, right? And they say to love your brothers. Where'd that dragon come from? Um, and that can discourage you and can make your, you quite a miserable person. And so there is a, an important truth here that I want to talk about, though regarding grace that gives the answer to that. And it is an interesting term to define because there are some words in the Christian faith that sometimes take on a certain meaning and they become pretty hard to define. Worship is one of them. Um, where most of the time we think of worship as people singing, depending on what kind of church you attend, it may be... Um, lights that are dim, the fog machine, and uh, uh, a synthesizer pad on the background of the sound setting the mood, and people have their hands raised, and the guitarists have skinny jeans, and so forth. That's the idea of worship in some quarters, and nothing, nothing actually wrong with that. Did I just hear my voice? I don't know how you all bear with it, <laughs> but um, in, however, you know, Dan, I'm sure will tell you if that's your idea of worship, that it is about singing and raising your hand, you're probably missing 95% of what worship is, and that's probably an understatement, okay? And it's this, there's something similar with grace that I want to talk about. So the Bible says in that verse, can we put that verse up? that says, 
The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And growing up in church, you've heard about grace, and oftentimes um, you would hear that grace is when God is being so nice to us that he does not judge us for our sins, that he does not bring upon us the judgment that we rightfully deserve, and which is true, that me, you, all of us have sinned so much that we deserve to go to hell. And we deserve the judgment of God to come upon us right now. Our city is, is a wicked city. We deserve to be wiped out by God's righteous judgment. But God is merciful, and he does not bring to us that judgment. And that's um, the understanding of grace that some have. The proper word for that is really mercy. That's the mercy of God. In Spanish, we'd say misericordia. That's the mercy of God. He does not bring to us the judgment of sin that we deserve when we come and we confess our sins, we repent. God does that. The, the reason why that's mercy and not, and, and, and not grace is because it's, it says that the law came through Moses by grace and truth through Jesus Christ. So, but in, even under Moses, there was mercy. In the Old Testament, God forgave people. Israel sinned several times. They asked God to forgive them, and God will take away the punishment that they deserved when they'll turn back. Um, you even see it with some pagans in Nineveh. The people repented. God said judgment is coming. The people repented, and God, brought, God did not bring the judgment. It, it was a God of mercy, and the prophet Jonah got mad about that. Uh, but it was, the, it was the mercy of God. But then there's also the understanding that grace is when God is giving us good things that we don't deserve. Uh, a common way of saying that is an unmerited favor or uh, uh, undeserved favor that God gives to us. And that is part of what grace is. But if that's all that you know, I would say that you're missing on a major, major part of what grace is also about. And now why do I say that for the same reason? Can you put that verse up again? The... The law came through Moses, but truth and grace came through Jesus Christ. So grace is something you will not find under Moses. Because under Moses, there was also uh, undeserved favor there. If you read in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, it does say there, it's not because, of your, because you were good. Oh yeah, we have, it, we have it there. I don't have the King, King James Bible here, so I have to take a look at it. So um, the Lord did not set his love on, did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were uh, more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep his, his oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage 
from the land of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That is undeserved favor. God is telling them it's not because you all were great and cool that I saved you. It's simply because of my love and favor to you. That's undeserved favor as well. So I want to talk about the aspect of grace that comes only through Jesus Christ. That other aspect of grace that only comes through Jesus Christ. Now, why do we need that? Let me get to that in a second. And so that part is this. When Jesus came and brought us a law that is even harder than what Moses brought, and actually under, in the New Testament, there is actually almost 1,100 or over 1,100 commands it's actually almost twice as what they had in the Old Covenant, and they are harder to keep. There's a journalist, um, I forgot who he worked for, uh, a Jewish journalist who went on an experiment. He wrote a book about it where he tried to live by what the Bible said for one year. He gave it a try. Um, so he tried to do some of the stuff that's in the Old Testament, not wear fabric that's made of different materials and uh, that sort of thing. He said that was easy stuff. He said what was hard was the New Testament stuff. He had to tell his mother-in-law the truth that he didn't want her over for Thanksgiving because he doesn't like her. <laughs> um, that sort of thing. Uh, he found it very difficult Say, so find that much, much more difficult than old covenant stuff. And it's true. When Jesus comes and says, you love your enemies, that's not that easy. Okay, how are you going to keep that? But that is the truth part. The truth is that Jesus came to tell us, it's not, the point is not that I don't want you to kill the people. Even just hating them is bad. That's the truth part of it. If you hate them, if you don't hate them, you'll never get to murder. If you don't lust with your eyes, you'll never get to adultery. That was the truth part. It's not that the law of Moses was a lie, but it did not encapsulate the entire truth of what God wanted to communicate to the people. But now Jesus comes with truth, but he also comes with something else. Help for us to obey what he commanded us. The ability of God to work in us, to produce his life in us, the Bible calls, also calls that grace. And if you can think of it like this, it's the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy really deals with my past, the sins that I've committed. Grace deals with my future, now, how am I going to do when I face these temptations again? And the other word thing about it is, if I'm working in my own strength, that's works. But if God is working through me, that's grace. Grace, it is the love of God, the life of God, the strength of God that comes in a person, enables them to do what by nature they cannot do. So truth and grace came through Jesus Christ. When he came, Moses came down from the mountain. He came down with the law. And the law more or less said, go and obey this and good luck. Jesus came down from heaven and said, I'm going to expect more from you. 
your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And that's where he began to say, they don't kill, I don't want you to even hate them. They don't commit adultery, I don't want you to even lust. They take vengeance on their enemies, I want you to love your enemies. But with that, though, Jesus didn't say, good luck, see you when you get to heaven, if you make it. Right? What he did is, he came with this thing called grace, telling us that he can come, live through us, no longer us living, but Christ living in us, and that produces something that God is pleased with. You see that when you look at grace from that angle, from that, when you look at that aspect of grace, a lot of things begin to make sense. So for example, can we have that passage from Luke chapter 2 verse 40. Here's an interesting passage. If you like reading the Bible, this is a confusing one. And the child, that's Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Wait, what? Jesus needed grace? What would he need grace for? He had no sin. So this is not the grace about sins being forgiven and judgment not coming upon us. Jesus did not need that. This is not... Um, undeserved favor either because Jesus is all deserving he's worthy but Jesus when he came to earth this is something I wish I had more time to explain but when Jesus came to earth he's fully man fully God in the mystery of the incarnation in the mystery of the Godhead when the son of God came to earth he was fully God yet fully man but he did not use his privileges and abilities as God to make it through his life. He had to rely on the supply from the Father and the Spirit just like you and I do. He made himself, the, the, the way to think about it, he didn't stop being God, but the way to think about it, it's like a billionaire who's got a lot of money but moves to a village in the middle of nowhere and he says, you know what, I could, at a snap of my finger, get myself a mansion here and live as comfortably as I live elsewhere. But I'm going to limit myself to the same kind of limitation that the people who live in this village have. Because I want to show them an example of how to live even under these conditions. That's part of what Jesus did. So on earth, he became exactly like us in the sense that he had to depend on the Father and on the host. That's why you see things like the, the Bible says that when Jesus was on earth, it says that no one knows the day when the Son of Man is coming. Not even the Son of Man knows that, that, that time. On earth he did not know because he limited himself to what the Father would reveal to him. But now he knows. So he could tell John in Revelation, I'm coming soon, and here's the signs that will happen, that will, that will take place when I'm about to return. It is one of those wonderful truths of the Bible that if we take time and you study, it really has the potential to revolutionize your life, I can tell you that. But I don't have uh, the time to get too much into that, but only to say that because of that, Jesus Christ Need, when it says there that he needed grace, that the grace of God was upon him, is that he as a man 
was growing in his abilities to do more and more and more and more and more as he grew into adulthood till the day when he went to the cross and he died for us. Um, the, you can also see that, can we go to the next verse? Uh, you can see that with um, Paul. Here's Paul describing grace. In the Bible, in the New Testament, we have two great examples. We have our supreme example, that's Jesus. But as a servant of God, as to how you follow Jesus, Paul is really our example. Um, and you see here, it said, but by, gra- by the grace of God, I am what I am. What made him who he was? The grace of God. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, meaning the other apostle, yet not I, by the grace of God which was with me. He says that I worked, God gave me grace, that grace transformed me from whatever I was to who I am today, and that grace was not in vain. Grace worked in him to produce something that was even greater than what the other apostles had produced. Say, not me, by the grace of God through me. Grace is what worked through him to plant churches, to do ministry, to um, make it through all of that. We'll come back to that. But that was the grace of God in him, working to make him into the man that he became and enabling him to do all the things that he did. So he can clearly say that, yeah, if you look outwardly, he was doing those things. But the internal reality was the grace of God working through him. And now, what does that um, look like for us? Another passage that will make, will make sense is Romans 6.14. For sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under the law but under grace. Why does sin not have dominion over us? Because we're under grace. Oftentimes when you hear someone say, well, I live under grace, I live under grace, how can you know that they're really living under grace? This will be the proof. So the, the, the grace that Pastor Steve has been talking about, when a person is really living under that grace, the fruit of it will be that. Sin will not have dominion over them. When there is a bondage of sin all over a person's life, one thing you can say, they're not growing in grace. What they need is more grace. And I want to talk about, so I want to talk about what is grace, what does it look like. Now I want to spend some, or I want to spend some time on what does it look like, right? So go to Acts of the Apostles, chapter, chapter 10, chapter um, 11. The church in Antioch is my favorite church in the book of Acts. It is a great church to study, um, as you will see here. It says that those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. 
the, Lord, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, or saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught a great number of people. The disciples were called Christian first at Antioch. Wow, you know where that word all began there in Antioch. So, here's a picture of what grace looks like when it is at work in a church, okay? Can we put up, um, Victoria, thank you, by the way, you're doing a, a great job with this. Can we put up that um, verse 23? There was um, persecution that broke out in Jerusalem where the church began. There was a believer called Stephen. He was preaching the gospel and doing some amazing things by the help of the Holy Spirit. But those who hated Christians killed them, and a persecution broke out at that time against Christians in Jerusalem. And because of that persecution, the Bible says Christians scattered all over the place except for the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem. Now those people, some of those, most of them went and spoke the gospel only to Jews. At the beginning, believers thought that the gospel, the message of Jesus was only to Jews, and they really viewed Christianity as a sect of Judaism. And most people obviously saw it as a deviation or perversion of, of Judaism. And because of that, Christians were persecuted. And so, but some of those who were scattered um, did share, broke with the pattern, and they shared the gospel, not just to Jews, but to everybody. And a church was born there. The, and so when the apostle heard that the, there was a great work in Antioch, that people were getting saved, and there was a new church there, God was moving, what did they do? They sent Barnabas there to go and encourage these people. Barnabas, his name is the son of encouragement. That's the name the apostles gave him. I think his, first, his actual name was Joseph. And they because he was just so good. He had that gift of encouraging people. And some of you here do have that. It's such a blessing to have in a church. So Barnabas goes there, and the Bible says he saw evidence of God's grace. He saw grace at his church. He was so impressed to the point that he moved there. He went to Tarsus and said, hey, Saul, um, who had been converted and was spending some time in Tarsus where he was from, he said, hey, Saul, you got to come and see this. I I'm moving to Antioch, and you're moving with me. And so he went and grabbed them, and he said they all went there, uh, both he and Saul, and they began to teach a number of people there. Now, my question to you is, what is it that Barnabas saw in this church in Antioch that will make a man move there and say, you know what, I'm staying here. This is my new home. You know, we went, Pastor Steve and I were in Peru, and um, 
God's doing a great work there. It will be like me saying, I went to Peru and, and I told him, you know, Pastor Steve, tell everybody in Boston, I'm not coming back. I'm staying here. Um, and, you know, I saw something here. I'm not saying, but I do want to go back there, not, 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 not to stay, but it's, it's a, there's, there's a great work there. I told them, I'll, I'll see you all soon. Nos vemos pronto. And Pastor Steve told me, remember that lying is a sin, right? So I had to, I had to, I had to repent uh, to, to them, but I, I, I hope by God's will, um, they, they were, there they were a lot of, um, asking to be back there, and I, God willing, I will. Uh, both there and in Argentina also. But it will be something like that. This man went there and saw something that made him, you know what, I want to stay here. What is it that he saw? Now, the Bible doesn't give us all of the details, but we can learn some things from it. Number one, which is that grace has, has evidence. Grace is something that you can see. You've heard of faith having evidence. Grace also has evidence. When God is at work in the hearts of people, it produces something that has outward manifestations of it. And what was it here that, that Barnabas saw? Well, for one thing, there's something here that had never been seen, seen before, which was that you had Jews and non-Jews worshiping together. Well, you may think that that's not a big deal, so let me explain to you. You think we have racial and uh, cultural tensions in America. Let me tell you why it was going on. In those days, 2,000 years ago, a Jewish person could not enter the house of a, non, of a non-Jew. He couldn't enter your door because he'd be unclean and will have to go clean himself. You read earlier in the chapter, Peter did that, and the believers rebuked him for doing that. Okay? He couldn't enter the house. We're not talking do business with somebody or become their best friend. Just stepping into the door was wrong. They were raised like that. Because there were things that would make them unclean in the house of an uncle. It was a part of them trying to keep the law of Moses. And on the other side... Jews have been hated ever since recorded history. I personally believe because Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, comes through the Jewish people, Satan has inspired hatred against them all over the world. It goes way, way back to the days of Pharaoh when they were throwing Jewish boys to the crocodiles in the Nile River. And so that's the world that they were living in, where Jewish men cannot enter the house of a, of a, of a, of a non-Jew, and where a non-Jew hates a, a, a Jew. But in the church, these people were together. That was the evidence of the grace of God. It was a sight no one had ever seen before. Now today, it is sad to say, Sunday morning, I think it was MLK who said that it's the most segregated time in America. It still is the case today. And it is sad that that is the case. That's not evidence of grace. It is odd to me, strange to me, you know, when you look at a basketball game, you know, the Celtics or uh, Patriots or whoever are playing, 
there's everybody on the stands cheering for them. Black, white, Hispanic, everybody wants them to win, want their team to win. Sports bring them all together. Let me ask you, who's got more power, Jesus Christ or the Celtics? The Celtics can bring people together. Cannot Jesus Christ do better than that? You know, we were, we lost someone who was close to us. Um, Anna, she passed away at the age of 40. And we had, um, I was, had the privilege of being a pastor for 17 years. And while I can tell you she's definitely in heaven, and as a pastor, I'm glad to be able to say that. Um, and when they're not as someone who was wholehearted after the Lord, but in any case, after the, uh, the memorial service, the burial, we rented a um, um, section of a restaurant to have a reception. We had a reception at a restaurant. And at the end of it, the manager who was, uh, they served us really well. But at the, end, at the end, the manager who was in charge there asked me as we were leaving, she said, what is this? Is this a fundraiser? She, no, is this honest to God? No exaggeration. She asked me, is this a fundraiser? She said, because we're used to seeing only people of one kind here. It's either all Indians or all Caucasians. She said, I've never seen this. She said, what is this? I said, this is a church. We're believers. And she said, I said, what? She, she literally stopped looking at me and looked back at the people as we were, everybody was getting up. She said, this, this exists. This gives me hope. And I told her, yes, ma'am, Jesus Christ brings people together, people of all kinds. And, you know... And I don't say that to brag. That's not braggable stuff. That's normal Christianity. It's basic stuff. And Jesus said, the, the world will know that you're my disciples if they see how you deal with one another, how you love one another. She was super nice. She asked me, can I pack anything for you? I said, just the dessert. <laughs> it's true. It is true. No exaggeration. I need grace there uh, in, that, in that area. Uh, I made sure I hid it, from, hid it from my mom who was in town for that time. She, she polices some of that stuff when she's around me. But you know, it was interesting because someone looking at you saying, you know, this gives me hope. And and it was a good reminder because it was a reminder to me because, you know, my world, I, my world has been like that for 25 years. It's something I take for granted. But it's that in the world out there, it's not like that. And by the way, no, my world was not like that before 25 years ago because I'm in a country where we all look the same. Okay. But it, and at one point, someone... Um, said to me, you know, I met some person who is hungry for God and they're, they want to turn their lives around and, and could they come to your church? Could they come to Calvary? And I said, sure, but I asked them, why can't they come to your 
place? And the answer, I kid you not, was, well, our church is full of whatever type of people with this kind of thing, and this person just now with their background, and so they're not going to fit in there. Um, I, had to, I had to process that for a few days. Um, what does it mean when a church leader says somebody can come there? Because, look, I think I can say, and I'm not saying that to put anybody down. These are actually people that I love and respect. But I just have a terrible blind spot when it comes to some of these things. Um, I think I can say on behalf of Pastor Steve and all the elders here, and so you're out there, you're watching this, um, if you can breathe and you want to learn about Jesus Christ, you're welcome here. There's a seat here. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. We have all kinds of people here. We have doctors, but I'm sure we have people who haven't finished high school. And in all due respect to Dr. Burks, uh, Dr. Tolu, and whoever doctors we may have here, Dr. Tommy, you know, in all due respect to them, some of the folks who haven't finished high school may be wiser, okay? Um, it, and, they, and they add something to the, I'm sure they add something to the church. It has nothing to do with how much a person walks with God, and I want to be in a church with all those people. I don't want to hang out with uh, just a bunch of MIT alumni. That gets very boring. Right? So, not sure. There was a time when I was surrounded by, by just that. I started to pray that God changes that, and he did. So there was, um, because you, you see, there's a, there's a lot of praying for revival, okay? People are praying for revival. But let me ask you, if the, God begins to answer the, uh, the, the prayers for revival, and the first 50 people that walk in, are people you may not like, what are you going to do? If there are people who voted for Donald Trump, what would you do? Or if there are people who voted for Kamala Harris and Joe Biden, would, would you be okay with them? What if they're planning to vote for them again? You say, no, get out here. I, I don't know friends with those type of people, I, you know, depending on which side of the aisle you're in. There was a lot of that in 2020. I know it's quiet here because this is true. Um, the evidence of the grace of God was that they were all together, Jews and non-Jews. I have had, if Peter were here, he would tell you, uh, he's not feeling well, he would, he would tell you, I have had all kinds of conversation with Christian leaders who argue for why people have to be split apart in races and ethnicity. Church growth books that tells you you need to have only one type of people. If you have all of them together, there will be fight at the end of the service. There will be these ones who want to get chicharrones and these ones want to take pasta. And you'll have, you'll have a, you know, no, this is true. I had a conversation with a leader who said that. I said, where do people go out to eat after service? If you only have, if you have all of them together, it's going to be, it's just so, it's just so silly. Um, you know, when you, when you become saved, when the Lord comes into a person's life and you grow in grace, what happens is that 
you begin to look at yourself for what you really are, which is the spiritual you, and you begin to look at others in the same way. I don't look at Pastor Steve as a white man. I am aware that that's something that is true about him, but I can tell you honestly, that's not what registers in my dealings with him. I don't relate to him at that level. To me, that's a man of God who loves his wife and loves his children. And the reality of Christ, I don't, I don't know how to articulate this, but the reality of Christ is so real and so strong, takes over so much that the other things are real, but they almost vanish away in comparison to Christ. That's the grace of God that does that. The other thing here that, you, um, that you, you see here is that these people were folks who had been through trials. They have just been persecuted. They lost everything. But they're continuing and going and sharing the gospel. You'll be like, what's wrong with you? You just got kicked out of Jerusalem for this thing. Now you're doing it again here? What was that? They were not complaining they weren't complaining. They were continuing to serve the Lord. It was the evidence of grace in them. Now look at this. This year is the amazing thing that you probably have never heard mentioned. I've never heard this mentioned ever. Until I was reading the Bible a couple of years ago. You see it says there that Barnabas went and took Saul and brought him to Antioch. Where? Who is Saul? Remember... What happened here said that this church was planted when? When the persecution with regard to Stephen broke out. So they killed Stephen, people scattered, and so the church in Antioch started. Now, who was there when they were killing Stephen? Saul. So Saul was persecuting the church. He, they had Stephen killed. The people who he persecuted spread out. They started a church. Saul gets saved and he ends up in that church, okay? He ends up in the church that it, it is, you have to stop and really think about that. First of all, God always has the last laugh. You persecute his people, he make you one of them <laughs> at some point. And he did. Not only that, the amazing thing is Saul becomes a teacher at that church. There are friends of Stephen sitting there. <laughs> and Saul is teaching them. So for a year, whoever these people were, they don't give us their name, are outstanding believers. Because they were willing to receive from the man who persecuted them and killed their friend, got them to move out and lose their properties and end up in this place. And they allowed him to become their leader. In fact, later we didn't put the verse, but they send them out with gifts for the church. They make, he becomes their ambassador. He takes things on their behalf. It is amazing. What is that? That's the evidence of grace. People who are able to deal with someone and embrace someone that they otherwise never would. Whenever there is a crime, high-profile crime that happens, there's always prayer for the victim. 
and we should, but often I ask myself, that person, that police officer who killed someone, if they ever got saved in prison and they got out, which church would welcome them? Which church will make them an elder if they qualified? This was what happened here. Paul kept, killed Stephen, Stephen, and he became a teacher, an elder in this church. Oh, I, I am running out of time, as you would have predicted. Um, maybe we'll continue this on, on Tuesday. But this was the evidence of the grace of God. I want to ask you, I mean, is there someone that has hurt you, wronged you? You may find it difficult to forgive. But the grace of God at work in you can help you to do that. Um, I'm going to skip over and talk about, well, how do we get grace? If you're taking notes, I will just refer you to Titus that's another passage that tells us what grace looks like in Titus 2, 11. It tells us the grace of God that brings salvation to all men has been revealed. It teaches us to depart from sin, effectively is what it says. This is part of what grace looks like when it's at work in the life of a person. It causes a person to depart from these things, um, not out of a person trying hard, but by the grace of God working through them. Now, so, which is why it's a contradiction. When someone says, I, I live in grace, I, I, I walk in grace, yet they're living in sin. It, it does not fit together. This is the proof that the person is, is walking in the grace that brings salvation to men. So let me talk about how do we get grace, or how do we grow in grace, okay? How do we grow in grace? I'll mention two things to you. Uh, and if we have time, I'll mention three. Number one, grace is given to the humble. Um, that will be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. Thank you. It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. God resists the proud. That's the opposite of grace. One is when God is working in you. The other is when God is actually working against you because God resists the proud. What does it mean to humble ourselves? I'll tell you what that means. It means accepting the circumstances that God puts you under. God puts you uh, in a... It, it, it means you, when you do something wrong, you go out you realize that you did something wrong, you go and you apologize. You lost your temper, you go and you say you're sorry. You don't say, but why did he talk to me like that or why did she talk to me like that? It will be hard to grow in grace in that way. When God sees you and me deliberately making the choices to humble ourselves, God will bless us with more grace. And you see there it says, <laughs> submit to one another 
rebellious people I have noticed have a hard time growing in grace. Those who learn to submit, whether it be to their parents, whoever God has put as an authority over your life, there is grace that comes into their lives. When women submit to their husband, that's very unpopular in our culture. Man, you can't even say that. Did I just say that? Well, <laughs> grace comes. God blesses them with grace. And I have seen that. Um, you will notice, you will notice that those who grow, that's, that's why you will notice that those who have made progress with grace are always submissive people. Because it is part of humbling ourselves to submit to whoever God, whether it be the teacher, the boss at work, whoever God has put, and to one another, the Bible says here. Finding way to submit to one another, we grow in grace. It is what God has promised when we're constantly justifying ourselves, constantly wanting to um, walk in pride, it will be hard for us to grow in grace. God does not expect us to become perfect in one day, but one thing that we can all do is be honest with ourselves and honest with God by acknowledging, Lord, here are the issues that I have. The other thing that I'll mention to you. This is one that doesn't sound good either. You won't like it. I don't like it. Oh, I have three minutes. Um, so, the, uh, can we put up the verse from 2 Corinthians, please? Is when we allow the Lord to use the difficulties and the trials of life to shape us. Okay? Listen to what Paul says here. Um, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. First of all, do you notice that? These three things are saying are the same thing that are underlined. My grace, my strength, the power of Christ. It is the same thing. Grace is God's strength working through it. It is the power of Christ being manifested through us. However, look what it took for it to be manifested in Paul. There was a thorn. Christians have argued over for 2,000 years what that thorn is. That tells you there will be no agree agreement. So I usually don't get into things that people have been arguing in for 2,000 years because there will be no, no agreement. But the point there is that there is a messenger of Satan, not something that God would want, but a messenger of Satan, something bad that God could have taken away but God told Paul, well, for you, I could take it away. I know it's a thorn. It's bothering you. It's something bad, whatever it is in your flesh. But I won't take it away. Instead, I'll give you grace. Please listen to me here carefully as I wrap up. All of us, everybody in every person's life, God allows a certain level of thorn. 
some of you, that thorn is your wife or your husband. Maybe he is a thorn and a half for you. And you have prayed more than three times. Lord, can you please fix him? Can you please come into a dream and tell him if you're not nice to your wife, I'll cut your head off tomorrow. Can you please, God, give him a vision? Can you take that away from me? You have prayed 30 times. And God has said, my grace is sufficient. There are two ways that God can fix our problems and our circumstances. Now, I told you this doesn't sound good. You may not like it, but it's the truth. There are two ways that God can deal with our circumstances that are unpleasant. He can change, he can change the circumstances, or he can give us the grace to deal with it. Both glorify the Lord. When he changes the circumstances, glory to him. We praise him, he's answered prayer. When he says, no, I'm not going to fix it. I'm just going to give you grace. That's also God getting glory from that. The thing is that the world lies to us and says grace is not sufficient. God must change this and fix that and give you this and give you that car and give you this and fix that. And, and if he's not doing that, he's failing you. And then we walk around miserable. I tell you, there has been pain in my life. Now, some of you may be surprised by that because you don't hear me complain. But I can tell you, I tell you honestly before the Lord, some of the most precious things I've learned. Learned it in season of thorniness. <laughs> Seasons of thorn. And sometimes God takes the thorn away, but he allows it to be there for a season. But the privilege that you get is the strength of God will be manifested through you. In heaven, we don't get this. It's only on earth that we get to glorify God by how we bear with our thorns. It's a unique privilege that we only have in time and not in eternity. And if you embrace that, that difficult boss that you have, the impatient people in your life, your mother-in-law, they have a bad reputation for whatever reason. God allows them to be there. You take it and you say, Lord, I'll let you use this for good in my life. For Paul, God used it to keep him from pride. That was a blessing because pride could have destroyed him. We grow in grace when we accept the circumstances that God has put us under. It's not just miracles. Um, Forgive me, let me mention just one thing before I, before I close here. Uh, Dan, could you come back? One thing, the, the last thing that I'll mention is this. Victoria, can you put up that verse from Hebrews? It says here that because of this is a fascinating passage of the Bible. Man, I wish we had half an hour to talk just about this, the verse around this. Uh, maybe we'll do that on Tuesday. Should come on Tuesday. I mean, you get the the point here. He said, "Let us come boldly to the throne of what? To get two things. What do we get in the throne of grace? We get mercy, forgiveness for our sins, and then we get grace to help us at the time when we are in need. 
because Jesus did the same. Before that, it talks about how Jesus prayed. Now, how do we get into the throne room? How do we go into the throne of grace? By prayer. It's when you're spending that time alone with God. There is no shortcut to it. Someone asked me yesterday, would you, when you spend time alone, can your friend come? I say no. Can somebody, what if somebody wants to spend time with you, your friend, would you tell them, say, if it's my main time in the morning, no. They say, can't you invite them in? I say, no, no one. No one comes in that time. It's me and the Lord. I say, if, if I don't do that, I'm going to be empty. I'm not going to have anything to give to my friend. We, not, we don't make up stuff. We receive things from the Lord in that time alone with him. So I want to encourage you, learn to pray. Learn to pray. Learn to go into the presence of God and ask God for grace because you will need it. In the time of temptation, in the time of trial, you will need that grace. And the only, you can, the Bible, it, minister that I, 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 I often listen to says, it doesn't say let us come boldly or come with confidence to the pastor or to the sermon. Say let's all come boldly to the throne of grace. In prayer, that's where we receive strength from the Lord. Um, we're, Dan is going to play and we're going to close. Um, if you have children in, um, in the Sunday school, you can go get them. But I'm going to ask if you know that you have not been walking in grace, there's not been evidence of grace in your life, come and we will pray for you. We'll have prayer couples. If we can't have them here, they'll hang out here. Even after the, the, the service, I will be here. And if you're one of the prayer couples and you need prayer and you might, go to another prayer couple before you pray for other people. And let's ask God, let's pray for one another that we would have grace, um, that we would all grow in grace, as Peter says. I'm going to pray as the prayer couples come can come. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, Lord. You desire for us to grow in grace. You desire for us to grow in being a people, Lord, who love one another, who bless one another. You desire, Lord, for us to be a people, Lord, whom the world can look at and see evidence of grace in our lives. So, Father, we pray and we ask you, Lord, that you will just teach us to come into that throne of grace and to allow you to use whatever means you have chosen for us to grow in that grace. We thank you, Father, for that in Jesus' name. Amen.